Welcome to the Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. Larry is the author of over 40 books, the founder of Dove International, a worldwide family of churches and ministries in six continents, and has over 50 years of leadership experience. He and his guests will share inspirational leadership insights from their journey with God. These insights, gleaned from serving leaders in many nations, will transform your life and leadership. For more information on Larry's books and resources, visit LarryKreider.com. Welcome to the Larry Crider Leadership Podcast, where we learn the small changes we can make in our lives and leadership that can produce huge results down the road. With me today is my friend I've had the privilege of working alongside for 35 years, Steve Prokopchak. 35 years is a long time. Welcome. Yeah, it's probably taking you that long to say my name. <laughs> you know, it took me a while. Your yeah. name was a hard name for me to remember. It probably took me a few months, but I got it down. So we're so glad you're here today. Uh, we're going to talk to you about leadership and obviously... Um, obviously, you are involved in le- leading leaders, training leaders, helping leaders literally around the world. And for many years, you were a clinical counselor. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and then how you went from that role to starting to oversee leaders in this nation and many nations. Yeah, I I appreciate that question. I was a social worker for quite a number of years. And, uh, and in the type of social work that I was doing, I really came to a point of kind of burnout with it. It was my definition became trying to work with people who just really weren't right. ready to be worked with. And so you had asked me to come into Dub. Dub at that time was this one mega church, and you know we had all of these issues. And I kept saying no, and finally changed from careers from that social work into the whole counseling realm. So uh, I volunteered here initially, if you remember, remember, like I on do. Friday nights. And uh, what I really appreciated about it was that people came wanting to be changed. Sure. And that was very different for me. And so for many years following that up to the year, I don't know, like 2000, 2001, we were seeing many, many people in, in my office uh, day and evening. Right. I remember well. And then you went from there to rural more leadership training, if you remember. Talk to us a little bit about that transition. I mean, obviously, you've got a pastoral heart. You love people. It's who you are. Today, you serve on our international apostolic team, and you know you and our team. And I, I tell people all over the world, everybody needs to see Prokopchuk on their team because you've helped us stay healthy as a team, and you've seen things that I haven't seen led us in that area. Talk to us about how you went from being a counselor on staff in a megachurch to a role whereby you were just involved in helping leaders, focusing more on leaders, and both nationally and then internationally. Well, yeah, as you know, uh, Dove really grew during that season, and churches began to multiply really exponentially around the world. And so the need for pastoral oversight to pastors, the need for yeah. giving uh, good oversight, good fatherly, motherly input advice, caring for them, praying for them, uh, because we had this, I don't know if you remember, we used to say this all the time, um, that uh, leaders need parents in their lives because right. healthy leaders, yes. if we have healthy leaders, we'll have healthy leadership teams and healthy leadership teams tend to have healthy churches. So my role became from just seeing in people individually in the counseling office to going out to the living rooms and to the, you know, the, the, the uh, church office rooms or whatever and meeting with key leaders, uh, pastoral leaders, as well as their teams making sure that they were healthy. And uh, it's been a great run. It's been a great ride being able to do that for the Dove family. And I feel very privileged to be able to 
to have that opportunity. And you've done that in the Dove family and also in the body of Christ. You're called on in different parts of the body of Christ, different denominations, uh, you know, to use the gift that God has given you. And a leadership principle, again, this, this whole podcast is about what are the leadership principles we can learn if you're a younger leader, aspiring leader, uh, what is it that we've learned that we can help you with? And I'd say one thing is, as a leader of a team, uh, you need a steeper cup check. You, you know, you got to find out how you're wired. And the way I'm wired is I love people. I mean, I've got a shepherd, so I love people. But I'm not a great pastor. I'm not a great counselor. And you on the team has made all the difference in the world, Steve. And I remember times, you remember well, when I was asked to do consultation with some key leaders in the body of Christ. I won't give names that wouldn't be appropriate. And I, that was outside my, my field, you know. And so I would either take you with me or say, mm-hmm. Steve, give me a bunch of questions, you know, prepare me so I can do this properly. Sure. So that's a leadership concept. Now, talk about then, you went from there to, uh, you went from this whole role to, in the USA, all over the world. I mean, I've been with you in many nations. And do you find these same principles work everywhere? Yeah, I believe they do. Even as we, you know, cross cultures, uh, it's still that need of leadership. Yeah. It's still that need of pastoral counselors in your lives. Those people who are going to ask the right questions, and it and it really is a. It's just it's a coaching, it's a counseling, it's a spiritual mothering and fathering. Right. It's kind of all of those combined, because the the human soul is really thirsty for yeah. that accountability and that input. Mm-hmm. And especially leaders, leaders can be very lonely. They're at the top of their organization or they're leading something that they can feel very lonely and they don't necessarily have that person in their life True. who is asking them the hard questions about themselves, their own spirituality, their own health, as well as their biological family, as well as their spiritual family. And those questions need to be asked. Yeah. Now, I've got some key questions for you. First question I want to ask is this. What, what are a few, start with one, but what are a few key leadership issues that you see leaders have, that maybe we don't talk about it a lot, but they're there and you see them and God's given you grace to delve into that and help us in a healthy way find resolution in some of these areas. Yeah. I believe a, a big one, one that stands out to me is helping leaders to to resolve issues in their life, to learn how to resolve uh, conflicts. Okay. Uh, you know, many years ago we wrote the book called Together and it's right. it's a book to help couples prepare for marriage and right. then it goes into postmarital uh, input as well. But in that book we have a whole chapter just on relational conflict. And uh, it, the interesting thing is that we are told that it, it isn't um, incompatibility, whatever that is. It isn't necessarily just finances and all those things that break up marriages. It's a couple's inability to resolve conflict. So if we can learn how to resolve conflict, help our leaders to mm-hmm. learn how to confront and how to, to be humble and ask for forgiveness, how to resolve conflict in their lives, I think we're way ahead with our, with our leadership teams because teams, people have conflicts. It's not the curtains on the wall. It, it is right. another person typically. You know, you, your car breaks down and you drive away after paying this huge bill and it breaks down again. You're not upset with the car. You're upset with the mechanic who said right. it was fixed. And then how do we deal? How do we resolve those conflicts? I also think, you know, like if we can, 
it, one of the biggest things missing in families today is teaching their children to resolve conflicts. Right. How do you how do you get your children other than just bossing them and disciplining them or sitting them you know on the steps for a timeout? How do you teach them to resolve conflict? Well, parents are struggling with that because they don't know how themselves. Could you help us a little bit with this? I mean, I don't want to get into this too much because I have so many questions for you. But are there a couple keys you've learned in yeah. resolving conflict? Yeah. Well, I you know we. I've always pushed the fact that I think relationships are the most important thing in life. Yes. Relationships, you know, relationship with our God, our Father, our Heavenly Father, the Lord Jesus, His relationship with His Heavenly Father. And, and as we look at that picture in the New Testament, we see the relationship that Jesus had with His disciples it was a very different relationship than He had with the Pharisees. Right. And so uh, he had a lot of conflict maybe in his life. I mean, he had conflict with the Pharisees, Sadducees, and he had on his own team, he had them arguing about who would be in his right, right hand and his right. left hand and, and, and moms entering, you know, wanting for their sons. You know, so it wasn't that Jesus didn't have conflicts on the earth. He did. But I believe in his healthy way that he, he resolved them. He would ask those right questions. Okay. Uh, he would make them deal with their own insecurities. He would help them to understand, uh, you know, that conflict is a part of life and, and 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 it's a part where we can learn from it or we can avoid it yeah uh, we have you know Larry in our area here culturally we in this culture we tend to pretend that we didn't have conflict and hopefully tomorrow it all goes away <laughs> well if that's how you tend to deal with conflict then it isn't going to go that's away right. and it's going to build up and it's going to come back and hit Correct. you some people just slam the door and walk out the house and get in their car and go for a drive or go for a run or go for a walk or kick the dog or whatever they do but it isn't resolving the conflict. It means we've got to bring those two persons back together, right. help them to face. Because, you know, there are three sides to every story. Right. Your side, my side, and the truth. And somehow we need those persons in our lives that help us to find the truth and bring a conflict to resolve. Marriage is a big deal in the area of conflict. I, even in my own marriage, I am married to someone who likes to wait it out, who hopes that kind of it goes away. And then I'm the person who is you know, running behind her saying, we need to resolve this. We need to resolve this. But I also have to appreciate her timing because my wife often carries the sure. timing for the resolve. I carry the desire, the want to, mm -hmm. uh, but she often carries, maybe it's not the right time. We need a timeout right now. So even timing in resolving conflict well, How do you really know if important. you need help? How do you know if you need either peer relationships or you need counselor counseling? Or I mean, some things we, we all know, you just can't really resolve yourself yeah. so how do you know that i think it's kind of, i think personally i feel like if it keeps coming back to you okay it's like a, a revolving door if if you know we deal with a conflict and it's dealt with it's done okay we that's taken care of but we have those that keep surfacing and we realize, look, I've had this same argument 15 times or right. i've had to face the same issue a hundred times in my life what is not working? What am, why am I not getting to the root? And so that's when I think we need the care of a professional in our life or someone that's sure. going to really help to draw it out. And we're able to look at it and, and uh, yeah, and, and deal with it, take care of it. How uh, important are peer relationships? And then let's talk a little bit about fun. 
because I know you're kind of the master of fun. You know, you do that for us, yeah. finding ways to have fun. Good talk about that. Yeah, we need we need outside focus. We can get so focused on our work, so focused on our sure. ministry, so focused on our leadership and our leadership team that we forget ministry and work and all these things that God gave us is really supposed to be uh, energizing. It's supposed to be fun. You know, um, Richard uh, Exley wrote a book uh, called Rhythm of Life. Yeah. And he said there really needs to be four balances in our life, worship, uh, work, rest, and play. And uh, when they get out of balance, when we don't get enough rest and we're tired, we become maybe irritable or argumentative. If we're not worshiping, if we're not releasing ourselves to the Lord and hearing his voice, uh, then we we go back to just like really drawing upon ourselves. So so worship, rest, uh, play. I mean, if you ask most leaders, what do you do for play, they'll look at you like a deer in the headlights, right, like this right. blank expression yeah. of what is that? Yeah. You know, what is play? I remember sitting with a, a leadership team and I said to them, uh, do you, when, how often do you meet? And they told me, and I said, that's good. Do you pray? Yes, we pray in our meetings. And, and, and I said to them, so how often do you meet to do something fun? Never thought of it, huh? Complete silence. <laughs> Complete silence. They said, "Well, what do you mean by that?" I said, "Well, do you do you do something that's entertaining? Do you do, do you go out to dinner together? Do you go bowling? What do you do?" I said, well, "I talk to to them about our team, Larry, and and, and yeah. we go once a year. We go on a, a you know a whole weekend away. We do with it our thanks families. to you, and you've led the way for that. It's made all the difference. Yeah, and it's time for us to recreate and yeah. to just be refreshed. Right. But you know what? In those settings, right, we're, we 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 require that we don't talk about." Uh, work. We yeah. require that, you know, put our, our day so books away. So healthy. And our, and the other thing about that weekend, Larry, or those times is we include our children and yeah. our children have been able to see their parents and the people that they work right. with who are leaders in the body of Christ and interact with them on a fun level. And it's created a refreshment for our kids to say, hey, these guys aren't so weird you know, after all, they're, they're not just leaders, they're human right. beings and they're people who laugh and have fun around the campfire yeah. and play volleyball and go on hikes and do all those good Our things. Our kids so, growing up love that. They yeah. Just love that. Yeah, yeah. So these leadership teams sure. need to find some. I remember one team, I just left them and I said, so you guys talk now for the next 10 minutes of what you're going to do for fun. The next fun activity, what is it? And so I went away, called my wife and uh, told them what I had the leadership team do. And I came back and they still kind of had this blank look on their face. And one of them said, well, well, you know, Joe and I are gone golfing. I don't know what the rest of them are going to do. So even in 10 minutes, they had a hard time coming up with what can we do for fun. Let's change the subject. Let's talk about, I know you told me many times, you have a deep concern when leaders are not thinking about their future, they're not thinking about succession, they're not thinking about younger leaders taking their place. Of course, I, this is real to me right now. I'm in the midst of a whole succession process right now yes, yes. in my role in Devon International. So talk, just Take a few minutes and talk about that. Why is that of a concern to you? Well, it's a concern because obviously we've come to this age in a blink of an eye and, and we just, it, it caught us off guard, I think. And so for some years now, we've been working on uh, and with a succession team and right. we're so thankful for that. But in reality, uh, you and I have read the book uh, called Next and right. it's, it's all about succession. And we appreciate that book, especially because it's it's uh, next or the succession from a lot of spiritual leadership. So they right. do cover the whole pastoral thing. But something they say in that book is intriguing. It says that from the day you take this position of mm -hmm. leadership, you should be thinking about who is your successor right. or at least thinking about and sharing with the team that we need succession. I'm not going to be here forever. 
And, and so in thinking about that, I think we're bringing it to the table and we're saying to our leaders, hey, you need to be thinking about this. What's the process? And the other thing I think that's a part of that equation is how are we raising up the next generation? Yeah. How are we releasing the values that God has given us, the means and the methods that he's given us? And, you know, our value is often raising up from within our own house, you know, within our own right. ministry. And the reason we specialize in that is because we know if there are sons and daughters in the Lord and there's going to be succession with them, they're going to come into this with the values that we've taught them, with the values that we hold dear right. for this organization. And that hopefully generations down the road, while methods might change, those right. values will not change. And that takes a very yep. clear, intentional, purposeful effort towards succession. Exactly. Talk to us for a moment about something I've heard you say many times. You've told me many times you can see people in business or leading businesses or perhaps are leading churches or organizations, ministries, whatever. But you've used the term, I've seen this become a mistress in their lives. What does that mean? Yeah, I think there's a, there's an issue when the church or the business becomes a priority over the family. Okay. I remember one time I took a, an international trip and I missed the fact that it was over my son's birthday. And my kids were fine with me traveling. They were used to it. I would pray over them. I would bless them. My wife was in faith and favor for it, and she would cover our family. But that one time I came home, and uh, as I was talking to my kids, my son said, Hey, Dad, you, you missed my birthday, and wow. we really missed having you here. Yeah. And I realized from that I had prioritized something mm -hmm. beyond my own family. You know, that scripture, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is your closest neighbor? My closest neighbor would be my wife and my children. And we only have our children a short time. You know, right. you and I now are playing yeah. and hanging out with grandkids. Before we knew it, we had kids that were in college. It happened so fast. And, and, and married, and, and off they go. And we only have that short period of time. And I think that prioritizing uh, our families rather than making our ministries or our businesses our mistress as a leader, prioritizing right, right, right. that over our family. Another, another question uh, has to do with leadership, uh, and that has to do with finance. You know, I, I've heard you say already that, you know, if someone doesn't handle finances properly in their home, you'd be, you would really encourage them not to give leadership in the church level, for example. Uh, obviously, our business also could be a problem there, especially in the church level, uh, because it carries over. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, I think Jesus really taught us this when he said, if you can be faithful with little, yeah. he could entrust you with much. So if you want more, then be trustworthy with a little. And I, I've seen leaders who are, are good leaders, but their financial situation is just gone awry. I mean, yeah. they just, they don't, maybe they don't have a budget. They don't even care about having a budget. Uh, I've sat with leaders who've spent a lot of their personal funds on their, on their ministry, wow. uh, un, unable to come up with the funds within their local church. So they took away from their feeding their family, from their own family to care for the, wow. the needs of the ministry. Again, another priority picture that we really don't want to have. But I, I've seen leaders who, who, you know, every so many years are going back into another 30 year mortgage. Well, they'll, they'll, never be out of debt. They'll never pay off that debt or leaders who use a credit card wrongly. And, and, and so well, these things, we're working with them to get a better financial picture for them and a better financial future for them. 
how they deal with their finances in that small scale right. home is also going to be a reflection of their finances in the larger so scale of the local church. Yep, so true. And one final question I want to ask you about leadership, and then we want to go into another subject. Uh, and that is, I've heard you say many times, the difference between referring to I and we. Talk about that, or I and us. Talk about that. I think leaders need to be inclusive of all. I think leaders need to speak in the terms of we. Mm. Uh, stay away from that those personal pronouns of, of I because like, I my ministry yeah. I did this okay exactly because those those words just exclude everyone else that's helping them with right. that ministry right. there there really wouldn't be that local church yes that lead pastor is important but it, it, that really wouldn't be there if if they didn't have a team and they didn't have the shoulders helping them and they didn't have the congregation is a very vital part uh, of that ministry. I, I, it's my observation that leaders who are insecure and only want to talk about their ministry, not realizing the ministry of others, they, they lack security in the Lord. They really don't know their identity in Him. Mm. And and uh, I, I, I also see that, you know, a lot of people come to leaders with vision. A lot of people want to do something that they feel called of God to do. And leaders who are insecure, who only speak in I, uh, and not, rather than we and team, uh, they're not going to be very open to that. They're going to want that person to fulfill their vision right. in the way that they see it versus how that person sees it. And, and then we start losing uh, congregants and members because they don't yeah. feel honored there in that process. Yeah, we've often said if you understand godly family leadership, you understand godly church leadership. And any father worth the salt is going to not talk in terms of me or I, but talk in terms of my family, us, we. And so it's so, so true. Well, now we, we want to really focus on your brand new book. I love this book. I read it cover to cover, Identity, The Distinctiveness of You. I uh, love this, this uh, subtitle, uh, Surrendering Who You Think You Should Be to Discover Who You Are. Awesome book. Especially like it because I saw on the back cover, Steve, <laughs> somebody I know very well yes. wrote this affirmation. Laverne Kreider, co-founder of Devon International, my wife, mm -hmm. she said, I quote, while reading this book, I had to put it down and process things repeatedly. It is incredibly convicting, causing me to face the insecurities and misguided loyalties of my own life. But not once did I feel condemned or hopeless. Wow. Un unquote. So let's talk about this. There's, why did you write this book? Again, I've read it cover to cover. love the book. I recommend it to everybody. Uh, why did you write this book, Identity, The Distinctiveness of You? Yeah, so uh, we had a lot of what I called pre-readers. And, of course, you and your wife, Laverne, volunteered to do that. Right. And I really got lots of good input and, and, and quotes back from people about the book and how to make it better and what to change, what I missed. But, uh, you know, we have had this this prayer track called Who I Am in Christ yeah, for love many it. years. And it's just a just a, a bifold and it has lots of scriptures in it. Those scriptures really helping to create the identity of Christ in our lives. That little track, Larry, has gone around the world, yeah. has sold over 70,000 copies right, of right. it. And, and so I had leaders that were coming to me and saying, hey, how, how can we expound on this? Mm -hmm. What is some kind of material that we could use in our local church? Maybe a, a, a Bible study or a small group study or some, some kind of expounding on who I am in Christ in, in the form of a, of a book. And I think the other thing that I discovered was I had done a, a survey, did a questionnaire some years ago and got responses back from people and quickly discovered that a lot of persons didn't know how to define their identity. Right. Uh, where did they find it? And, and you know, uh, what is it even? And 
uh, how, how does it look biblically and, and what is the father after in our lives, that whole area of identity. There's really something in this book for everybody. I mean, it's so good. Now, you start the, the book dealing with insecurity. Talk to us about that. Why you start there? Yeah, we look at insecurity and insecurity for like the, the first four chapters because uh, I, I had this quote in there. It's from uh, the, the comic, the, the TV personality, Ray Romano. And he said, it's my insecurity that makes me want to be a comic that makes me need the audience. And <laughs> the reality is that um, identity becomes wrapped up within our level of security and uh, it, it, it's it, that whole area of security f uh, and insecurity for us really needs to go through a metamorphosis, or a, 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 a healing, mm -hmm. because we mm -hmm. grow up with these insecurities right. in our lives. The Father wants to heal them. And those insecurities will keep us, literally yeah. keep us from discovering our identity in Christ. So you, you wrote about how our insecurity, it's not about us. Talk a little more about that. What does that mean? Yeah, if, if identity is about what I do, right. if I do more, am I more? Okay. If, if, if uh, identity is what I have uh, financially or with possession, if I have more, am I more? Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, you can have a little 12-foot fishing boat and there's people who have yachts. Right. So which one has the greater sense of, ide <laughs> of, of identity? So, and, and furthermore, if identity is about what, we, what others think and say about me, then I am letting other people define who I am. Mm -hmm. and, and that's one of the questions we ask in the book. Who defines you? Yeah. Uh, we, you know, my, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my, you, you know, my leader, my boss, my spouse, you know, my heritage, whatever. And I, and I, we use the character, we tell the story uh, that talks about Gideon and, and how that uh, this Bible character Gideon, he was, his, the whole, all of Israel was suffering from these ongoing attacks of the Midianites and, and Gideon's hiding, threshing some wheat. And, and God shows up and says uh, something like, hey, almighty oh, warrior. <laughs> right. Well, I'm not sure Gideon is thinking. He's looking around. Where is he at? Like, where's this mighty warrior, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and God says to him, I'm going to use you to save Israel. Right. And uh, here's this young man just literally just kind of crushing wheat, you know, and and and, he, and I'm, I'm like and, and, and it's like there's this question in his mind. And I think that would be the same for all of us. I mean, we stand, you know, standing there saying, like, what, who, me? Are you kidding me? Like, I'm I'm just the runt of the litter here in my family. And yeah. And so and the same with Moses. God comes to Moses and says, I'm going to use you uh, to to just uh, bring my people out of out of Egypt and Moses. You remember Moses's question? He says, "Who am I? Right? Who am right. I that I can do this?" And uh, that whole that whole piece of God brings your identity right. to you. Right. So good. Again, the name of this book is Identity: The Distinctiveness of You, Surrendering Who You Think You Should Be to Discover Who You Are. Now, one of the things I really appreciated about this book was you did not shy away at all from sexual identity which is obviously a huge issue today we face every day. Talk to us about that. Yeah, to be honest with you, this is changing every day. Right. And so it was really the most challenging chapters to write. 
Uh, the first chapter, in, I think, is uh, in the middle of the book, chapter 10. We talk about the brokenness, the whole idea of sexual brokenness and how right. that we really all walk in areas, differing areas of sexual brokenness. And, and you know, really the scripture uh, also discusses the whole area of sexual brokenness because the sins of the Old Testament are still the sins of the New Testament. And the, it's just the atonement of the Old Testament versus redemption and right. healing of those things uh, in the New Testament. But, but we all walk in this these areas of, of brokenness. And today we're discovering and hearing that our sexuality defines our identity, you know, and uh, all of this kind of gender identity speech. So we really wanted to research the scriptures and look at some science and what some authors are saying and uh, and, and, and helps to, to build this chapter so that uh, we are not looking to that area of our life to, right. to define who we are. And so we discussed that pretty thoroughly. I love the way you use real life examples and people that you've interviewed just to bring out reality and truth and uh, just so, so well done. And in the book, you also talk about your own personal story of identity. Talk to us about that. I do. I'm I am a bit vulnerable in that area uh, because I feel like as an author, if we're writing this, we've got to kind of just share our own, right. you know, trek with the whole areas of insecurity and um, identity. I, I, I just I have one story I'd love to share out of the book. It's, Please, it's, it's from my life. Uh, I, I, it was a couple of years ago. Um, my mother showed up at our home uh, for a visit, and she brought with her, Larry, and this is incredible to me, but she brought every report card I ever had from kindergarten really? through my senior year of high school. I wouldn't know where to look for those in my life. <laughs> First of all, I thought, well, who does this? And uh, I know there's parents out there raising their hands, but... Um, I took them not knowing what else to do with them. And she says, you know, I, she says, I don't need these anymore. And I'm like, you never really needed them. Right. But anyways, I took them. I threw them aside. I thought, I don't, I don't know what I'd do with them either. But it was about a few weeks later, maybe a month. I don't know. I just picked them up and just began to look at them and thought, oh, you know, my grades were OK. Or I did better than I thought I did. And grade school and, and junior high and high school might have been a different story. We won't go into that. But kindergarten i remember this is what stood out to me looking at that pack of report cards in the kindergarten report card uh, the teacher's comment was steve is too nervous to use a scissors wow and i thought well first of all could those scissors be used i mean they you know remember the blunt nose scissors that didn't, i remember well. that didn't cut but but i began to think about it and i and god i felt like showed me I was so nervous. I was so insecure. I was so fearful of making mistakes. And my home was so insecure that when I got into school and I was asked to do things, if I, didn't, if I felt I couldn't do them well or do them perfectly, I would just kind of get nervous and just, you know, wig out a bit. And, you know, sure. I don't know whatever sure. happens to a kindergartner. But anyways, I related that in, in the book, this story, because I realized I grew up with a tremendous number of insecurities in my life. And obviously, by God's grace, he dealt with them one by one, one by one. Let's take it a step further. When you get to the end of the book, you end the book with security and identity in the heart of a child. So really, it's just what we're talking about right now. So what are you attempting to relate in that portion for us, for anyone who's a parent who's listening right now? What's your advice? Yeah, you know, I, raising children is the most difficult job in the world. Right. But it's the most rewarding job in the world. 
And something that I felt like God showed me in writing that chapter was that our children are born with a blank slate. Yeah. I mean, they're not born with an identity. True. They're they're born with all these physical features. They've got blue eyes and blonde hair or brown eyes and brown hair or whatever. But they're not born with an identity. And that identity is formed. And we have the opportunity in raising and training our children, especially in those first years of their lives, to to build that identity and and really the 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 one of the biggest mistakes that I made as a parent was thinking that I was a pretty good dad a pretty good guy and uh, and 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 another mistake that I saw was that I I observed my children kind of wanting to be like me you know they would walk around in my shoes or if I had a hammer they wanted to have a hammer and I I realized that hey my kids I'm thinking my kids want to be like me and really it was all kind of a bit of a deceptive picture because it led me to believe that they wanted to be like me because I'm a good guy. Mm -hmm. And I remember the day that God spoke to me and said, I never gave you children to be like you. I gave you children to be like me. That's so good. To build Christ in them. Mm -hmm. And Colossians 1, 28 Mm -hmm. says that so well. Galatians 4, 19 says that so well. I didn't give you children to build you. Larry in them. I That's gave you correct. children to build Christ in them. And so God's approval comes to us from the very beginning. He approves of us. You know, the first time Jesus voiced approval of his, or the father voiced approval of Jesus was at his baptism. Mm-hmm. Well, his ministry didn't even start yet. There wasn't one miracle That's that was good done. good point. And, and yet the father spoke approval from heaven. I remember having our first child. I was so elated. I, we were so in love. No one could have ever torn that kid from our arms. But there wasn't anything that child needed to do to earn our approval. That, that child had it. All, all it had to do was, you know, uh, be healthy and, and cry when it needed to cry, you know. And even if that child kept us up all night long, never, ever, ever did we want to reject that child but yeah. receive them. And so that acceptance comes from our father. And that heart of acceptance has to come through a parent to a child. So again, the leadership principle obviously is Father God has accepted us regardless of what we've done or haven't done. We're just accepted. We're loved because we're loved by our Heavenly Father, period. Amen. And, and, and I know for many years I dealt with that whole issue in my own life. Where do I find my approval? And I realized one day, and you've helped me with this, I found it in the Lord. You know, I found a Father God who really loves me just because He loves me, not because I write a book, not because I'm a pastor, not because I do anything else. I'm just loved. And I think that's a key leadership principle, whether you run a corporation, whether you're leading a church, whether you're leading your family, you're loved by the Heavenly Father. So I really appreciate the way you, uh, I feel like you bring that truth out so well. Now, you've done so much research for this book. In the back, you have appendix after appendix. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about some of the resources you have there. I think that would be helpful to us. Yeah, we, we, there's so much could be written. And so we, instead of making the chapters you know, too long, right. we, we added a few appendices. And so one of the things that threads through this whole book is the idea of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in order to reach our security in the Lord, in order to know our identity in Him, we have to be willing to walk in forgiveness, especially towards those who have who we perceived as as they hurt us. And so mm-hmm. we, we uh, talk about in the, in the first appendices the whole area of forgiveness and how do we forgive, actually steps to forgive, because that's just so vital in our lives. Of course, the, the second one is, is really this track that we mentioned earlier, Who I Am in Christ, and right. all of those scriptures that we can meditate upon in order to discover sure. who Christ is in us. The third one is about how should the church respond to the whole sexual identity thing. 
And that's just some helpful information to a local church. You know, what do we do? And we're, we're faced with this situation uh, within our congregation. And then the last area is just building on uh, the last chapter of the book with children, where, where we build on 10 more areas of healthy identity in children, just to give a little bit more equipping to the parent out there. Awesome. Again, this is a leadership podcast, Steve. So for any leaders, uh, leader, future leaders that are joining us right now in this conversation, uh, talk to us about why you would recommend they read this book or recommend it to other people. Yeah, for a leader to discover who they are and whose they are right. brings such peace. It brings such solace. It, it, it brings something. Um, well, a, a psychologist, Robert McGee, said it this way. Who you think you should be is less than who you are. And I just, I I love that because uh, sometimes leaders are trying to be what they perceive people want them to be. Say that again. That's powerful. Who you think you should be is less than who you already are. That's amazing. In Christ. So, uh, and Paul said it well, I think it's Galatians 1.10 when he said, we're not... We're not coming to trying to please men. Mm-hmm. You know, we fear God. That's right. And I love that boldness of his, his, his security and his identity in Christ. That's a man who met God, you know, and, and heard the voice of God on the road to Damascus, a guy who was, you know, bent on persecuting the church, you know, just face to face with God and God's truth to him. And, and then God taught him who he was in Christ, who who God was in him. Mm-hmm. And I think we just, we, as leaders, we need that revelation because we work so hard within ourselves. We try to do it ourselves. And when, we, and when we're trying to do it ourselves, we're often thinking about, well, who are we pleasing? Are we performing well? Right. If we teach our children performance, they will fail and we'll fail them. You know, they just need to know our love outside so of performance. Uh, our Heavenly Father is not asking us to perform for him. He's asking us to be obedient to him. He's asking us to just say yes to what he asks us to do and be obedient. I remember uh, many years ago before Mother Teresa died, she was being interviewed by the the U.S. press. And and I remember one of the questions asked of her was, um, do you ever feel like a failure? And I'll never forget her answer. She said, no, I never feel like a failure because I'm not trying to be success, just obedient. Right. And so we're trying to be a success. Yeah, we're going to fail God. We're going right. to fail ourselves miserably. We're going to fail our families. But if we're trying to be obedient and so say, good. yes, Lord, uh, I believe that we do that. And we do that better when we know whose we are and who he is within us and have our identity securely found within his call in our lives. It's another key leadership principle, leadership truth. The, the, the focus is not trying to be successful, but being obedient and obedient to God. Amen. Steve. Uh, before we sign off here, any last-minute thoughts you have for leaders, aspiring leaders, anything that you would like them to be aware of, especially as it has to do with identity, identity in Christ, the distinctiveness of you, realizing there every leader has been wired by God in a certain way, and to honor that and don't try to be something we're not. Yeah. Well, you know, I think this is a lifetime effort. (laughs) You know, what I love about our Heavenly Father, and I realize this, especially in my years of counseling, he just doesn't require everything to be healed all at once. Oh, that's good. He doesn't throw the whole ball of wax at us and then say, when you get this straightened out, come back and see me 
and we'll be you'll be a leader. I think it's a process, Larry. I think growing in our security, growing in our identity is a process. But here's the key. Be open to what the Father is saying to you mm-hmm. on a daily basis. What is he convicting you of? What is he showing you about you? You know, David prayed a very dangerous prayer when he prayed, God, show me my heart. Right. I would encourage you not to pray that prayer unless you're ready for the Father to show you your heart because your heart is what he's after. Your heart is what exposes the real you. Yes. Where is your heart? And if your heart is found securely in him and in his identity, you can stop performing, you can stop the fear of man, and you can be who, who he's called you to be. So good, Steve. Identity, the distinctiveness of you. Pick up the book. An exceptional book. I I mean, I wish I would have read this 40 years ago, Steve. Me too. <laughs> you too. But thank God. <laughs> thank God you have it out today. Again, surrendering who you think you should be to discover who you really are. That's just fantastic. Again, uh, pick up that book. You can pick it up on the Dev Store. Pick it up on Amazon.com or wherever you purchase books. And also, if uh, you want to know more about Steve Prokopchak and many other resources, books, his, uh, you know, uh, his blogs, etc., uh, you can see all that on the show notes at the bottom of, of this podcast here. And we're so glad you joined us today. We're having many conversations week after week, releasing new conversations on leadership as we, as we meet with leaders from the body of Christ here in America and throughout the world. So again, Steve, thank you for joining us today. It was a joy to be with you today. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Larry. So we'll look forward to seeing uh, many of you again. Let others know about this podcast as we're learning these leadership principles. Again, just small things making small changes that make a massive difference in our lives in the future. Thank you for listening to Larry Kreider's Leadership Podcast. If you want more information about any of Larry's books, daily devotionals, small group resources, or any other teachings, go to LarryKreider.com. 